Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. True crime has always been fascinating to many people. Television shows like Unsolved Mysteries, Snapped, 48 Hours, and even fictional shows that are loosely based on true crime stories like Law & Order, NCIS, SVU, the list goes on and on, have always been supremely fascinating to a large and dynamic audience. I'm your host, Katherine Gelvin, true crime enthusiast and psychic medium. I've co-hosted Real Hauntings with Noah a few times in the past and have graciously been asked to contribute a few episodes to the Real Hauntings Network. For more of my shows, you can find Murder and Mediumship on Spotify, iTunes, and just about anywhere you get your episodes. This is the story of the boy in the box. In February 1957, in a neighborhood called Fox Chase in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, A man checking his illegal muskrat traps on Susquehanna Road stumbled upon something he probably never thought in his wildest dreams he would find. He noticed an old furniture box laying in the grass and weeds of an abandoned lot and didn't think anything of it as people in the area would dump stuff there all the time. However, this wasn't just an empty furniture box cast aside. It in fact had the body of a young boy in it, naked, beaten, and wrapped in a blanket. The first person who found the boy didn't even report it to police. Yes, the first person, which seemed a little odd to me until later I had read that he was afraid the muskrat traps would be confiscated, seemingly small compared to a dead body of a child, but I suppose priorities. So it was the second person who stumbled upon this boy while following a rabbit that he had almost hit with his car. To each their own, I don't think I'd ever get out of a car to chase a rabbit, but you know... I guess, like I said, to each their own. After he sees the boy's corpse in the furniture box, he doesn't even go to police until the next day. Apparently, he had been caught as a peeping Tom before and didn't want to interact with the police. Other sources said that he actually talked to his priest, who told him he had to go. Regardless, police ultimately went to the dumping site and found the boy naked, wrapped in a flannel blanket in a cardboard box, badly beaten and so thin that his ribs showed through his skin. After taking necessary photographs and searching for clues, they removed his body and brought him to the police station for an autopsy. Now, photographs of the crime scene will be available on Patreon for all listeners. The autopsy revealed that his death was due to blood force trauma to the head. The time of death could not be determined because of the cold Philadelphia winter that allowed for longer preservation of the body, but he had been there for somewhere between a few days and up to even like two weeks. The poor child was so malnourished 
to the point that it was difficult to even determine his age. He was anywhere between four and six years old, and I will tell you now intuitively, I do feel he was closer to six years old. And in addition to his malnourishment, he was badly bruised and had clearly suffered from extensive and prolonged abuse. He had surgical scars on his ankle and growing area, as well as an L-shaped scar on his little chin. His light brown hair was cut haphazardly and lay in clumps on his naked body, suggesting that it may have even been cut post-mortem. Early on, police assumed that someone would be searching for this child and he would be easily identified, as most children don't go missing without being reported as such. However, they really couldn't have been more wrong. There were no missing children fitting his description in the area, and the case remains unsolved 64 years later. Over the course of the investigation, police visited children's homes, foster care homes, and hospitals. None had any missing children to report. One of the foster homes even had a bassinet, just like one that had been shipped in the box the boy had left, but the family was cleared in the investigation. So the only evidence they had to go on was the cardboard furniture box the boy had been found in, the blanket, and a blue hat found at the scene, which looks like what you would see maybe as like a golfing hat today or a poor boy's hat. I don't know if that even makes sense, um, but I'll put a photo on Patreon as well as that. So 400 flyers, 400,000, excuse me, 400,000 flyers were printed and paid for by the local newspaper to be included in every single gas bill sent out. The box was able to be traced back to a J.C. Penney's in the city and had once carried a bassinet in it. However, all but one purchaser was tracked down and all of those leads, like I said, were dead ends. The blanket was one that had been mass produced and could never be tracked down. It would take too long and it would be a really futile attempt at finding the person linked to that blanket. And the hat was even traced back to a woman. It was custom made. And she remembered having a conversation with the man who bought it, but she couldn't remember his name and the store kept no written record of it. The boy was buried in a potter's field in a far corner of the northeast of a northeast Philadelphia cemetery. Inscribed on his headstone were the words, Heavenly Father, bless this unknown boy. In feeling into this case, it was kind of crazy. I instantly saw the image of a male and a female, which said to me that no one acted alone in this. And I, in fact, saw a lot of children around. Now, I will say that there have been multitudes of theories that have come from this case. One of them came from a girl named Martha who claimed to have witnessed her parents buying a child from a woman. Another um, insinuates that it was a foster care home or a foster center that had taken to like beating the boy and he was the one that they mistreated the most. And then there are um, plenty of parents who actually thought that it could have been their missing child. But once they had traveled across the country, they would be shown that it actually wasn't their child. Other theories have been debunked as time has gone on and DNA has been made available to be tested or testing of DNA has been made available. But ultimately, nothing ever has led to solving this case and identifying this poor boy, let alone what happened to him. So what I see when I feel into it. As a woman, a very, very mean-spirited, very angry woman. This isn't like when we talked about John Binet a couple episodes back, how Patsy lost her temper and she kind of snapped, so to speak. This woman enjoyed doing what she did to this child, but I could see her hands on his shoulders. He was maybe three years old, and I see her 
handing this child over to a woman and a man. And I don't necessarily know that she paid for him, like one of the theories says, but she definitely was in charge of his care and she looks very mean-spirited. And the woman who she hands the child over to is also very mean-spirited. So she has her hands like on his shoulders and she pushes him forward to this woman who has a younger girl with her as well. This episode of the Real Hauntings Real Ghost Stories podcast is brought to you by Wild Grain. Hey everyone, it's Noah Daniels and I'm here to talk to you again about Wild Grain. Our last shipment of Wild Grain was so good that my four-year-old cannot stop asking for more of that awesome bread with dinner. And I'm not going to lie, I'm right there with him. And honestly, there's nothing quite like the smell of fresh bread baked coming from the oven. What if I told you that you too could get that delicious experience of homemade bread with none of the time and work involved? Well, you can by ordering from Wild Grain. Wild Grain is the first ever bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Every item bakes frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. And you can now fully customize your Wild Grain box, so you can choose any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box. When you go to wildgrain.com hauntings to start your subscription. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com hauntings. That's wildgrain.com hauntings, or you can use promo code hauntings at checkout. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. 
Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. And he looks, the man that's with her looks very well to do to me. He's got like a cream colored suit on and a matching um, like wide brimmed hat that would very much fit in with the times. So it feels like a very somber experience. The boy doesn't seem to know how to interact and it feels as if he's been neglected from the very beginning of his life. I know there have been theories that he was an immigrant child and that they said he could not have been because of the fact that he wasn't vaccinated as all immigrants should have been. And I assume they based that on not being able to find like a vaccination site on his arm or whatever. However, I do feel he was a child of immigrants, but I feel that he was born in the United States. He wasn't born um, elsewhere and then immigrated over. He was born to immigrants, but he was not an immigrant himself. I believe I see him being placed into the backseat with a young girl who is probably around 11 or 12 years old and she won't look at him. And it's interesting because the way she won't look at him says to me that she knows what his fate is. So whether they bought him from an orphanage or they were taking him on as like a foster child, I can't be too sure, but I do feel that I would lean harder toward he's, he's part of a foster family at this point. It feels like they have a lot of children as well. So this place that he came from feels like it was overfilled. So no one even really noticed that he was gone. And in some way, maybe this was a foster home who did actually pay for this boy. And he fit in with the rest of them because he looked like he would have been one of the foster children. And it's interesting because it has been brought up in, in a couple of the sources where I gathered my information from that neighbors never noticed anything peculiar, but literally people have housed missing persons in their basements for years and the neighbors never had any idea. So I don't believe that that really matters, that no one, quote, noticed anything peculiar because they never do. It's always the most normal neighbor, right? So anyway, he's placed in the backseat and he's driven home in this like large sedan back to this house that almost feels like it sits higher on a hill. It looks spooky to me, but I really would venture to say that that's the energy I'm feeling of what's going on there. But anyway, the man, I feel like he's like an attorney. He's someone well-respected in town and his daughter was someone that he would have also abused as would his wife. But it feels that the mom, that the wife, this child is more for her to quote, take care of than for anyone else. Um, 
The girl who came forward, her name was Martha, and had said that her parents had bought him. I do believe that she has something to do with the story, but I also feel that there's some confusion involved. And if you're not familiar with that um, version of events, go ahead and look it up. I believe it is on the Crime Junkies podcast as well. But go look that up and listen to her story about how her parents bought this child and kept him in the basement, and he essentially became feral, and they would beat him and, and rarely feed him. And I do think that there's some truth to that. I think that she's a little confused about how they acquired him, but ultimately it feels like her perception of it might be a little bit off just because she was a child at the time. Also, the reason for her incredible mental health issues, I believe that it stems from the abuse that she endured from this family as well. And I do also feel that they had other foster children and this was their only um, child that was born to them. However, what I think happened, what ultimately led to his demise, other than the, the abuse that was just ongoing, I think that the mother killed him. And I think that he doesn't have an identification because he was never really technically in the system. And I don't think that the system is is anything close to now what it was back then in the 50s. So anyway, I do believe, like I said, he was an immigrant child. And I also think that the woman who, quote, bought him or took him on as a foster child in whatever capacity, he was never checked on, obviously, as this foster child. I believe that she is the one who killed him, that she was always frustrated with him, but she literally had him just to abuse him. She didn't have him for any other reason. The child never knew a day of love in his life. And I think that he was like the targeted child. And what I'm seeing is her getting so frustrated with this child and the um, the girl, the quote sister, the foster sister, whatever, Martha, talks about how her mom had him in the bathtub. And when she was shaking him for vomiting in the tub, that he slipped from her hands and hit her head, hit his head, excuse me, on the floor. And I do actually see that as being what happened. I believe that he hit his head on the floor and he, um, that would have been the initial blunt force trauma, but that she also continued to beat him. And I believe that some of the beatings came from her own hands and some of the beating came from whatever she could find around her in the bathroom, like soap dishes, anything like that. And I also believe that the surgical incisions that we, that we referenced before, some people have speculated that maybe someone was in his life who loved him enough to take him to have like hospital care and that kind of thing. I don't think that's actually what that was. I feel like that was some of the twisted torture that he had endured in his lifetime. There was no actual surgery and he never had had a stay in a hospital. That was everything that was on his body was inflicted by the people who were charged with his care. I don't believe that the woman who handed him over had any vested interest in checking up on him or making sure that he was okay. And I do believe that while they knew that he would be found, that they had no worry about who would find him because they knew that it could never come back to them. Truly, I think that that hat, I don't even think it was related. I think it it landed there. It was somebody else's hat and it was there prior to the boy being left there. I don't think it had anything to do with the people who left him there. I do think that the mother and the daughter 
left him there. I think that the father would have made sure it was taken care of a little bit differently, but also that he was so busy with work all the time that he didn't even really notice that the boy was gone. And when he did realize it, he didn't really care. So as news spread about this, they just kept their mouth shut because they knew that number one, no one would believe their daughter. And number two, no one would believe that they had anything to do with it because, you know, the neighbors never noticed anything peculiar. Now, who is this boy? I know eventually investigators gave him the name Jonathan. I don't know that that was his name. I actually had an age with it, whether it's like Harold or Henry or something like that. I believe he was, I keep getting Hungarian. I'm not really sure if that's accurate. I also feel that when he was buried, well, I know that the police kind of put up for his grave and eventually he was, um, the, the plot that he was given in the cemetery was donated by the cemetery. They wanted him to have a place to lay. And I believe it's labeled as America's unknown child. And it's so tragic, but truly, I don't think that this case is ever going to be solved. And I don't think that this boy will ever have his real true name to take with him on the other side. I do, however, think that they're going to get much closer to solving it with DNA, but whatever it is that they need, they ultimately just can't grasp it. I think he was beaten. I think he was starved. And I think we are never going to find out exactly who was responsible. And that, my friends, is the end of The Boy in the Box. As for now, be safe, be kind, be loving. And I'll be here again on Real Hauntings Podcast with another episode of Murder in the Township. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.